Hello, I'm Chelsea Nicole, and you are listening to The Slided Show. Right now, I'm currently sitting in Cafe Dumont with my brother Eric Casey, drinking coffee, eating beignets. We are passing through New Orleans on our way to Vegas. I can't wait to see everyone at Magic Live. So we've taken a really long hiatus, and I'm super stoked to be back, and I'm especially excited to get to release this podcast in particular with Danny Garcia, who, honestly, this might be my favorite interview yet. His life story is awesome, so I can't wait for you to hear it. A quick thing to note, while I was interviewing Danny, my microphone happened to cut out, and so the rest of the interview, my sound is coming from my computer mic, so I don't sound very good. It's pretty hollow. Fortunately, Danny's mic is good the whole time, and so therefore, the sound quality with him is perfect. And let's get serious. We all know you're here to listen to him and not me, which makes a lot of sense, because I am too. He's awesome. All right, with that being said, let's just go ahead and jump right into the interview. I'm sure it'll be fine, yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. Okay, let's start for reals. Perfect. So, because the other time was for fakesies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Danny. How are you doing? What's going on? <laughs> so uh, I just want to start off. Where are you from? Houston, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize. So born and raised in Houston. Born and Texas. raised. I don't know why I said it with like a crazy, a crazy. Like my accent got thicker as I said Houston, Texas for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a Texan accent at any point that you've gotten rid of now? <laughs> I do actually. Yeah, it comes out whenever I get back in town. It really does. Like especially if I'm really? around like my friends because my friends have a uh, thick, thick country accents. So I'll, it'll it'll come out really. I'll be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why? <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Okay, well, uh, so what did your parents do growing up? My parents. My parents, uh, my dad worked um, for a company called Pitney Bowes, and he, uh, they make, like, mail machines um, to, yeah, to send out mail and, uh, like, scales and things like that. So he was, like, a service tech, so he, like, went around and fixed, uh, you know, copy machines and mail machines and all that kind of stuff. And my mom was a service rep for Southwestern Bell, which uh, was bought by AT&T, I believe, um... So yeah, and that's what they did our, our whole lives. Okay, did you uh, do you have any siblings? I do. I have a I have a younger sister. She lives in Austin with two nephews and a and a husband. The nephews though, the nephews don't have husbands. She has a husband and oh, has really? two nephews with the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what? Uh, tell me about like life a little bit, like growing up in Houston. What are some things you like to do growing up? You just jumped in straight with the deepness. Tell me about life. Let's talk about life for a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I should have. I yeah. So I always like start with uh, just like most people when they um, do interviews with magicians, they go straight to magic and the career. And I really like to get to know the person first yeah, no about worries. like their yeah, just what they were into. Because a lot of times people. Have a whole different story besides magic. Yeah, right on. Uh, I'm 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 the opposite. I was pretty much magic from uh, the age of five. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So, um, so it was pretty much magic my whole life. I did other things as well. I mean, I grew up in the country, so we, uh, you know, we played outside pretty much all day long. You know, it was that that kind of a thing, just out riding bikes and going to the bayou and the creek and catching frogs and mm-hmm. making mudslides and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, riding four wheelers. And so, and all my friends were from the That's country. Awesome. It, was a, it was a tiny little, uh, tiny little town called Alvin, Texas, outside of Houston. Um, it's about 
about oh, 40, okay. 45 miles outside of uh, south of Houston. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, it's just like a small, small little town. It was, even though it was a small town, it had the largest high school, like in America. It was like 50 acres or something like that. It was like a college campus. Really? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so it was really weird. So, because I basically, you know, whenever I got in high school, it was kind of like immediately going into college because you had, there's 26 buildings that you walked to and all this stuff. It was pretty crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just. Uh, How could they have that big, of, like, were they busing a ton of people in? How would they have that big of a high school? Yeah, and so the high, high school started at different, so uh, it was split up into two. So, like, um, the way that the schooling worked out here was, like, some some school only lasted uh, or, like, didn't start for, like, another two hours after another, after, like, one thing started. It was giant. I mean, it was it was massive. And so, uh, so it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was amazing, to be honest with you. I, I loved it. It was just, it wasn't, I don't know what that normal high school feeling is like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, of being like in a single building and you know having kind of a small because everything was massive um you know that high school was massive so but uh but yeah it was pretty normal man I was I was just uh you know grew up in the country I did sports played soccer and baseball and uh did uh martial arts um nice and was into that and into art and uh that's about it and then I got into music later on when I was in college when I burnt my hand um and kind of got into playing music and playing instruments and all that stuff but uh but yeah but magic's always been been a part it's always kind of been you know the backbone of everything so how did you get into music i mean sorry magic so young like how did that like what introduced you to magic uh, it was copperfield actually my so my dad not a magician uh but my dad and my mom liked um neither of them were into magic my uncle was slightly slightly into magic not like uh I mean, it's just kind of like your average hobbyist, not even, and not even really your average hobbyist. I mean, more of like, uh, you know, he had a couple of tricks that he liked to do. He had a magic set when he was a kid, like that kind of a thing. Uh, but my parents, okay, my parents, yeah. not, uh, not at all, but they loved watching magic on television. And so, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, so it was also, my dad would always watch, uh, watch the Copperfield whenever Copperfield came on. And I remember I was, I still remember it too. I was uh, sitting on the floor, like in between my dad's legs, like my dad was in like a recliner. And I was sitting on the floor in mm-hmm. front of him, and Copperfield came on. Uh, and I'm trying to think. I don't. I'm, I, it might have been Great Wall of China, maybe. Um, uh-huh. I, tr- I can't remember really the episode, but I think it might have been Great Wall of China. Uh, and I remember just being like, that, "That's what I want to do. Like, I want to do that." And uh, oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and like my parents were amazingly supportive human beings. I mean, they were incredible. And so they, uh, yeah, they got me a magic kit from my grandparents. Like they bought it so that it could be from my grandparents. And, uh, yeah, and then I just got that and loved it and dove into it, like, super hardcore, and then just kind of kept going from there. Just, uh, just, I wanted to learn more and learn more and learn more, and so they bought me, uh, they got me two books every year. They got me one on my birthday and one on Christmas. Nice. And uh, I would get for, you know, for a while I got a a Tarbell every single year, so I would read the Tarbell, and then I would get a new one um, at the end of the year for Christmas. And so, yeah, that's a... And just kept going, just kept uh, kept doing it. Wow, okay. So I, I, a lot of people, like, I've interviewed a lot of magicians where they didn't know until later. So that's pretty cool that that young, you were like, this is absolutely what I wanted to do. Yeah, it was, a, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky, too. I'm very lucky that I had, like, super supportive parents and, like, the people around <laughs> me were very supportive. Because, I mean, I know, like, coming from, you know, just, that can't be easy, you know. Like, my parents were very, you know, we were a paycheck-to-paycheck family. Uh, you know, oh, really? yeah, we were yeah. just, I mean, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. They all, I mean, my parents were incredible. Somehow they always had money for my sister and I though. You know what I mean? Like we, 
it wasn't, you know, we, we didn't grow up with money at all, but they always made sure that we were comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I was just, I was extremely lucky. And I think that them kind of nourishing that kind of craving that I had for learning, you know, this kind of, I, I don't know what it was that turned me on to it so much. I loved, uh, I loved figuring things out when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So like, I, and I loved building things like little things. It didn't matter what it was. So, like, I remember, like, when I was in kindergarten, I remember my dad used to always have, like, circuit boards and stuff around because he would fix these these machines. And so, and he right. and he was kind of like, uh, not like a pack rat, I mean, kind of like he would, anytime my dad saw something, and I've, and I've actually inherited it from him, like, if he saw something interesting on the ground that was like a little circuit board, my dad would just pick it up and he would just take it with him. And he would just put it, like, in, in, the, <laughs> in the garage. And then pieces from, like, machines that he had fixed. So I had all these things, like, around me all the time, you know what I mean? He loved, like, building things, so my dad had, like you know, wood building, you know, like saws and drills and drill, you Mm -hmm. know, drill presses and things like that uh, and grinding wheels. And so I always had like that kind of stuff around me and I liked building things. And I remember when I was like in kindergarten, taking like those circuit boards and like putting stuff on it and making it look like a robot and sticking it on my arm. And I remember wearing it to school (laughs) and being like, oh, (laughs) I'm part robot. They had to fix me. Uh, They found something and they had to fix me with this thing. People like, whoa, what is that? So it was like, I guess I always kind of like tricking people. I don't know what it was. It was pretty amazing. Did, so were you like, you know, growing up with your friends, did you perform a lot of magic for them or was that kind of, did you do it a little more privately? Or? No, yeah, no. I, I Once I started, uh, I mean, I think that it kind of like everything bit me, not not just the curiosity of learning and the curiosity of like how things work, but I also mm-hmm. think like the the um, performing side really started biting me also, you know what I mean? Especially like I, I was a really, really small kid. And um, I gained a lot of weight, like, right when I was, like, 12 or 13. And so I know that, like, right around that time also, it really helped me, you know, it kind of helped me fit in, I, th- I thought. You know what I mean? It helped me right. it helped me just kind of, it was easier for me like that as opposed to having to go, you know, try to make friends in a different way. I could just be like, oh, I can just show them a magic trick and I know that they'll dig the magic trick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, how old were you, do you think, when you started, like, getting involved, I guess, with the magic community? Yeah, it was funny. I was just talking about this yesterday. Um, I, uh, so I went to like a magic, uh, like a magic lesson that my mom had found for the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, which was, I mean, if you think about this is, I'm in Texas. So this guy was giving magic lessons and he was almost an hour away from my parents' house. Right. And it would, and the, the magic lessons were all day long. Well, both my parents worked. So, mm-hmm. My mom or my dad would get up an hour earlier in the morning. They already, and we already lived outside of uh, outside of the city, so both of them worked in the city. So that's you know that's a good forty minute uh, to an hour commute in traffic in the morning. Anyway, you know what I mean. Well, they would get yeah, up. They, so they were getting up at like five in the morning, you know, to wow. to go to to go just to go to work. Well, they would get up at like four in the morning just to be able to take me. To this dude, they'd actually take me to my to my uh, aunt and uncle's house because the guy was still asleep, right. you know. So they yeah, would take yeah, yeah. me to my aunt and uncle's house, um, and then they would drop me off at like nine or ten in the morning at this guy's house to do uh, to wow. do these like little magic lessons. Yeah, it was amazing. It's, it's, I mean, I think about all this stuff now, you know, as I'm older, and I'm like, man, like that was incredible. Uh, you know yeah, what they that's... did, and so uh, so well through him, that guy he had mentioned something called the SYM. Uh, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the youth, the youth section of SAM of the Society of American Magicians. And he was like, Hey, they, you know, they do this meeting once a month. And I think I was probably 12, you know, maybe 11, 12, something like that. Um, 
Okay. And they would, we, we went to this meeting and it was like, you know, it was the first time I was around people who like dug magic the way that I dug magic. You know what I mean? It wasn't mm-hmm. just kind of your normal. It was like, I, you know, my parents would take me to the library and I would just be lost in books at the library. It was like, it was a, it was a big thing for me. Um, I loved, loved magic yeah. from a young age. So it was the first time I was around these, you know, kids and, you know, te- not really teenagers or, you know, but they were all around, you know. I mean, I guess they'd be teenagers, but uh, they were all just, I mean, they were similar. It was the first time I had felt something that was similar to me, you know? Yeah, definitely. For sure. I think that's always an interesting um, question to ask magicians because it's all like different ages when people like become part of the community and they're like, oh my God, there's other people that are like just as like obsessed really. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And you like, know what was cool was um, there was like a group of us, which, you know, I was talking to my buddy about this uh and there was a group of us here in Houston, and there was a group of the youth group in Houston. There was there was like four or five of us here in Houston. I think there's like see, it was, uh, there was my buddy Shane, Gerald, um, Sarah, myself, um, and a guy named Jeremy. So it was five of us. So mm-hmm. there was like five uh, like ser- like magicians who were like serious serious like. But I you know I was being eleven or twelve years old, and these. My buddy was around the same age, Shane, and then, like, this girl, Sarah, was around the same age. Jeremy was a little bit older, and, uh, but not by much, you know, about th- three years, maybe. And um, right. my buddy Gerald was, uh, like, two years older also. But all of us really, like, we really dug mad. It wasn't, like, normal. It was, like, you're you're 12 years old, but you want to learn the past. You know what I mean? You really right, you right, really right. wanted to, like, dive into, like, some, some you know, heavy kind of knuckle-busting type stuff. So it was really cool to see, like, all of us... And all of us loved creating. That was the cool thing. So it was really, really yeah. dope to see all of us like, man, this is what I came up with. This is what I came up with. And like, I felt like it just kind of like pushed all of us further, you know? Definitely. That's really cool. Like that's def- the way to, you know, if any art form, you need to be around other people in the art form. Yeah, to, like, it was amazing. Start creating. Yeah. And we formed like a... definitely... Go ahead. Oh, no. I was, we, I was just <laughs> say we had we formed like a really good bond too. Like we would go like hang out with each other in the summer and like, like all of us. Like it was just, I think that, you know, all of us... We were the only kind of youth in Houston that was really that into magic, you know what I mean, at that time. Right. And so it was uh, it was right. really easy for us to kind of form this little click, like this little magic click. Uh, and then once we went to uh, that year, I think, or I think I was maybe 13, um, was the convention, um, the first convention I ever went to, and it was here in Houston. And so, uh, and it was TAOM here in Houston. And then it was, I mean, like that was like the doors opening to you know just pandora's box had just been unleashed it was crazy it was just uh you know seeing all these people going to a dealer's room the first time and like i was just like what is happening like what is this and what is that and yeah it was incredible it was amazing and then there i met you know i met uh my buddy marcus eddie and like he was like really into creating like i was into creating and we were both you know super young and so it was like man have you seen what about this have you seen this what about this what about this and so we were up till, you know, we would be up till four o'clock in the morning. Now you have to think, you know, I'm like a 13 year old kid, 12, 13 year old kid. So, you know, my, my mom would be extremely worried about me because I'd be down in the lobby with uh, the other kids. So my dad would like say, he'd set his alarm for like every like hour or two hours and he would go outside of the hotel room and do like a lap because the way the hotel was, it was like a giant like cylinder. So like all the rooms were in the inside, but the whole middle was, you know, hollow all the way down to the lobby. So he would go do a lap around this, uh, around like the hallway, and look down and make sure I was okay, and then and head back to bed. Uh, so it was a, uh, and Marcus and I would stay up till you know three or four in the morning, just creating magic all night with you know my buddy Shane and all. It was it was amazing.
So, okay, after high school, uh, did you go to college or did you start performing full-time? Uh, yeah, so I did I did go to college. I had uh, amazing, amazing friends, um, and I'll tell you why I said that. Uh, I started performing earlier, so I started doing magic. Like, when I was 13, I did kids' birthday parties, and then I started doing, like, around 16, I started doing kind of corporate stuff, which was really difficult because I didn't look like I was that old, you know? Uh, I looked right. very, very, very young. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> so uh, I started trying. I started trying to work in restaurants and that kind of stuff. And so that I kind of focused mainly on that. Well, I didn't really want to go to college because I was working or trying to work at mm-hmm. least. You know, I was I was broke as a joke, but uh, but I was trying to. You know, I was going out there and you know, kind of putting myself out there and trying to book as many gigs as I could and trying to work restaurants and all this stuff. So it was a. Uh, it was different i didn't really have the urge to go to college yeah. um because i was because i was working and my best friend at the time was this guy named chris and his uh dad said um hey if you want to go to college i'll pay for it oh wow that's awesome. yeah and it was a and it was a, a community college um in the town that i grew up in and he uh and his son was going to go to the same thing so he paid for both of us to go to college and i completely slacked off my whole first year <laughs> and uh, I I majored in ping pong and nine ball basically, uh, <laughs> uh, and learned how to play golf. That's about it, <laughs> uh, which I, which I was terrible at. Um, but uh, and then his dad's and we ended up not finishing, so I ended up just kind of slacking off the whole time. And then his dad said, uh, you know, he kind of had a talk with both of us because both of us really didn't do anything. And he was like, man, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you couldn't do it, then you should have just said so. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it, like, really fueled me, like, to be like, no, I mean, I can do it. Like, it's not that I can't do it. I just didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? Right. And so he said, you know, he was basically like, prove it. He goes, I'll pay for you to go for another semester. Uh, and so I did. So I did that, and I, you know, got good, you know, good grades, and was like, here you go. Like, this is, you know, this is pretty much, you know, I know I can do it. I just don't, I don't want to. And then I ended up burning my hand really bad. Uh, in uh in that semester, is right when I burnt my hand. I got I got into a really bad uh, a really bad accident. I was doing a doing a show. I think it was a project graduation, is what it was. Okay. Um, and uh, which is where they like lock you in, so they, it's basically so kids don't you know kill themselves whenever they graduate high school. And uh, I was doing this project graduation, and so I got home at like three in the morning or something, four in the morning. Uh, from this show and I was cooking and some oil caught on fire oh. on the stove and it, it gave me severe, severe burns on my hand, um, extremely severe burns on my hand. Oh, uh, my and so, uh, yeah, it put me out for a while, like six or seven months, something like that. Um, but, uh, that I kind of sat my parents down after I was like healing or no, I had just, I'm sorry, I got that mixed up. I had just sat my parents down mm-hmm. and I had basically just said, Hey, listen, um, I am not, I don't, I don't, I'm dropping out of college, basically, is basically what it was. I'm, I want to do magic full-time. And uh, my parents were very supportive still. Like, they, I mean, it was amazing. My dad was like, look, I don't, you know, I don't care what you do. Uh, I just want you to be the best at it. Or at least try to yeah. be the best at it. Right. Um, and it, like, you know, we're all, we're in tears, and it was amazing. And um, And then about, you know, three weeks later, two weeks later is when I burnt my hand, which was crazy. Uh, so it's like, I just, I just told them that I was going to, you know, 
hey, they knew that I was want to do this as a career, but I'm going to stop college so that I can actually pursue this. And then I get into right. this huge accident that puts me out of commission for like six or seven months. Yeah, it was nuts. So, uh, so I and then I ended up dropping out, and I just never went back to college. Not that you know, if you have any young listeners out there, then you know, definitely try to go to college. I'm well, not telling you not you not know, to go to college. <laughs> well, actually, I so I had this really similar experience with my brother. Um, I'm four years older than Eric, and um, he was he was in college. And I think it was around year two that he wanted to drop out. And my parents were both like, don't drop out. Like, you won't be successful unless you go to college. And so then he called me. And I was like, if you are not happy and you're not enjoying college, I'm like, you're super intelligent. And if you want to pursue magic, like, you'll be fine. College isn't everything. And I still feel the same way. Like, I yeah, definitely. Like, like if you if you have something else that you're like I'm putting a hundred percent of my energy and attention to this one thing, um, I don't think college is for everyone. I think it gets pushed on people a lot. And I mean, and I, you know, and that's coming from someone that like I personally went and got my master's degree, so I, I like college. But yeah, I just I think people equate college to being like a sign of intelligence and the only way to be successful. And I'm like, that's not true so yeah i gotta figure out what works for you like i'm a nerd and i like to write research papers so academics is fun for me yeah yeah Um, no exactly i think that's yeah uh, that's exactly what it is it's uh and i feel the exact same way actually yeah yeah and so i think a lot of times we have people that'll just like they kind of make these hard and fast rules of like you've got to do x to be successful and it's like there's no formula like there really isn't a formula for success other than like hard work and sometimes like luck like it really yeah, is Yeah, it's mixture. definitely it's definitely luck. It's hard work, it's luck and you know, it's a uh, you know, just being happy, doing what you love, you know. Right. Like that's I think that that's a huge huge and I think that that was that was a big thing for me with magic, you know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. that I really loved magic and I loved what it did and I loved how it made people feel. I loved how it made me feel. It was a you know, it was a completely completely different thing than you know, me I'm not saying, you know, I like I look back and I look at like I love doing graphic design and I look back and I'm like mm-hmm. oh man I could have gone to school for graphic design like that would have been fun like I love I love designing just designing in general and yeah. so uh and so I know that would have been fun but it's not it doesn't give me that same even to this day you know I love magic so much it doesn't give me that same kind of adrenaline rush and that same happiness that I get uh with with magic yeah what like I, this might be a little bit of an abstract question but like what is magic to you or like I like what how would you sort of like, I guess, categorize magic or like what it means to you? Any of those questions. <laughs> like, like what it, like what it means to me? Is it like a. Well, is it, um, I don't know. Some, some magicians I've talked to you get really philosophical about magic. Is there, is it like when you perform and someone's reacting to it, like what's that experience like for you? I mean, it's the greatest. It's it's awesome. I think that magic is extremely powerful. I think that magic, mm-hmm. and you know, and we could get very, very deep and very philosophical and that kind of thing. And and it's all with a grain of salt, obviously. You know what I mean? Because we don't know. Uh, but um, I think that magic is a, is an extremely like reverend art form. To be honest with you, that's not given the credit that it actually deserves. Like the psychology that goes into it. You know, magic is it's like a dance between you know it's a dance between um, different types of techniques, whether that be, 
physical technique, hand, sleight of hand, finger movements, and mental technique, you know, psychology and talking to people and understanding people and reading people and empathizing. Um, Definitely. I, I think that there's this this beautiful thing, and I think that, you know, magicians who really dive into magic and who understand magic kind of like how to perform and they understand like different things about magic, uh, second nature, I think that those people really do think a little bit differently uh, than other people. And yeah. Um, and I, th- and I think that, uh, you know, not so much society, but I think that a lot of, a lot of, um, people are starting to kind of realize that now too. You know, you've got people in the government that are working with magicians now. You've got, you know, different companies that are bringing magicians in to see what their, what their thoughts are. If you look at, you know, yeah. like if you look at Apple's designs, you know, back, you know, when Steve Jobs was, uh, you know, like back when, during the Jobs days, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, even, even the iMacs and the phones, they're all, they're all based off of illusion designs, like the, the, the aesthetics of an illusion base and the aesthetic, you know, they're using magic technique in design itself. Uh, and I think that more and more people are starting to realize that. Uh, and as far as like emotionally, I think that it's, what it does is incredible. We all, all of us want to escape, even if we have a perfect life, you know what I mean? We all, we all you're not happy all the time. You know, if you meet somebody who's a hundred percent happy all the time, then do not trust that asshole. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, we, we all have our, our ups and our downs and we have bad days and we have good days. And, you know, I think the goal is to try to have as many of those good days as you possibly can, you know, because you're just in control of your thoughts and your actions basically, you know? And so, uh, I think that magic is an escape from that. So if, if you're, if the only thing that I can control is how I feel, is my thoughts and my actions, if I, you know, I can't control anything else. Those are the only two things I can control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody steps in and short circuits that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Like, yeah. that's incredible. Especially if I'm in a bad spot, right? Especially if me as a viewer is uh, is in kind of a funk. And then somebody comes in and short circuits my brain so that I don't feel that funk. And I actually feel wonder and amazement and amusement and you know all of these different positive emotions that stir up uh that's something very special you know and and i'm not saying that magic's the only thing that does that music is very big into that as well right movies a lot i mean a lot of art you know if not all art uh so i i just think it's a very i think that somewhere along the way you know the prestige of magic got got dwindled down to kids birthday party magician which which itself in itself is you know an extremely hard job you know what i mean right um but you know it got it got dwindled down to this this yeah yeah, the perception was this kind of it's now this top hat and cape and and not so much now it's like right now we're in an amazing time you know where magic is like starting to kind of look cool and it's you know you know blaine Mm -hmm. definitely helped out and copperfield 100 percent helped out you know uh and it feels like the society of magic, like the the group of magicians, our little niche market, you know what I mean, um, is just lagging behind on that kind of uh, you know the aesthetics and the and the you know prestige of being a magician. Right. Uh, but but I think it's changing. I really do. I think it's uh, I think it's I, you know it's making its climb. I agree. Uh, let's go. Let's transition back to your career. So you how. How old were you when you like told your parents I'm gonna pursue magic full time? Like before that accident and everything. Uh, it was right. It was my first uh, or my second semester of college, I think. So I was mm-hmm. uh, maybe seven. I was eighteen, I think. 
Okay. Whenever, yeah, I think it was eighteen. Right when I was uh, said, hey, I think I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do this full time. Okay, and then tell me a little bit about those like early years of pursuing magic full time. I know you had the injury, so once you got better and recovered from that, like what what did that look like for you? Uh, it was rough. It was yeah. rough and <laughs> rocky, and uh, a lot of work and being broke. And, uh, you know, not being able to afford anything and paying with gas with, you know, bags of pennies, um, you know, going to my aunt's house because I was embarrassed to ask my parents for money to see if I can borrow $5 to get gas so that I could go to a gig. Uh, you know, it was a lot of that. Um, yeah. and it was also taking as many gigs as I could. I remember I, at one point I was working, I would get up in the morning and go do magic at IHOP. So, I would, yeah, I would go do magic at IHOP in the morning for breakfast, and then I would leave IHOP. My buddy had a magic store that he had opened inside of, a, like, a, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. It was, like, a flea market, but, like, a little bit nicer okay. than a flea market. Um, like, a, I don't, like, a boutique flea market? Does that even exist? <laughs> I, I think I uh, can picture. <laughs> uh, and he opened up a magic shop in there, so I would leave IHOP, and when the gig was over, because I think the gig was from 8 to 10... Um, and his magic shop opened at 10. So I would leave there. Well, it just so happened to be four miles away from this magic shop. Uh, so, and then I would go straight to the magic shop. I would work at the magic shop till, uh, five. And then I would help close. I would put on a suit and I would go to Chili's bar and grill <laughs> and I would do a uh, restaurant magic at Chili's. And then I would leave Chili's and I would drive to a place called the Kima Boardwalk okay. that's out here. Uh, and I would busk. And I would busk till about 11.30 midnight. Um, wow. And I probably did that for, I, I don't, maybe three years, four years. Uh, and then, I mean, you know, eventually, you know, I think I think the IHOP gig didn't last. I think the IHOP gig only lasted about a year. So that right. kind of dwindled off. Um, and then eventually, like, the magic shop closed. And then, like, so, like, but the... The Chili's and the uh, the other one, Chili's, I ended up stopping doing after, you know, four years, something like that. I, and then I started busking, and I started doing a lot of busking, um, and then started Wait, working. It, oh, go ahead. Is this in, when you were busking, was this in the smaller town you lived in, or were you, like, driving into Houston, because that's, like, a bigger city? It was, it was in a town called Kima, so it was called the Kima okay. Boardwalk, and it's a, it's kind of like a, um... It's a boardwalk, so it's all these restaurants on the water. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and all joined together by this boardwalk, and there's carnival rides and stuff like that. Um, okay. And so I was out there on the boardwalk, and there was a there was a two jugglers and myself. Okay. And the two jugglers were on opposite ends of the boardwalk, and I was kind of in the middle. And uh, and that's is that where you're from as well? Like that is. I'm from a little town called Alvin. Oh, so okay. that was gotcha. uh yeah. So I would drive about thirty five minutes to go do okay. the uh to go do the the gig and that place um you know i i busked out there but also there was a there was um you know the the uh, jugglers and things like that and so it was a uh, it was just it was a very big learning experience you know what i mean busking is no joke um and then i mean and then i and on top of that i was doing you know corporate gigs i was booking corporate gigs and you know through through the restaurant i was just you know right. passing out my card like candy um, yeah, for sure. And just and, you know, book, booking these booking these gigs, and somehow still managed to you know barely have enough money to survive. So <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, I yes, that's what I hear from every magician is the beginning is like so hard. Um, 
was there a point like like during this period of time was there a point where you like seriously considered giving up you're like i'm done oh man um yesterday no i'm just (laughs) (laughs) uh no you know i think that there's there was it was very difficult but i knew what i wanted to do and i think i think the toughest the toughest that i uh, that i think it came to was there was one moment when my parents were like hey you need to get a job like this is not working and in yeah. coming from somebody who supported you know they supported me 1000% right. so right. i knew that there was like weight to this statement you know what i mean right uh but i didn't want and to accept it because i was also young yeah. And, the, and it right. wasn't coming from, and you knew that this wasn't coming from a place of judgment, but like from exactly. concern. Yeah. Exactly. It was definitely concern. It was coming from a place of love. It really was. Right. And uh, I remember I went and applied to Target, and I went and applied for like, I think this electrical job or something like that. Um, and I got rejected from the Target job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I have no idea. And that was like the closest that I like kind of got to it. And my mom, I remember my mom saying, you know, you need to, I mean, it, it was hurting her, you know what I mean? It was hurting my folks. It was, it was draining right. their bank account, you know? And being that we were not a wealthy family and a paycheck to paycheck family, you know, they couldn't afford to be paying my bills as well. They could barely afford the bills of the family, you know? Right. Definitely. Um, and that was probably the only time I never thought I was going to give up, but that was the only time when I was like, what are you doing? Like what's right. going on? You know what I mean? Like you need you need to figure something out. You're good at figuring stuff out. Figure something out. Right. Uh, that was the only other the only time that you know that that kind of crept in my head. Um, I think the the other not the other side of that, but the other part of that is it's not that you feel like giving up, but <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it's more of like you know Homer said something sent something out on Twitter uh, or Facebook or one of those uh, the other day. Um, and I completely, completely, uh, like related to it mm-hmm. because he, he basically, uh, let me see about here. I'll, I'll pull it up real fast so that I can, uh, so that I don't, I don't get it wrong, but it's exactly how I feel. Um, so what he said was, he said, uh, never good enough, no matter how much I try is what he said. And I 100% related to it because it's not that you feel like giving up. It's just that I think that I'm very anal when it comes to design, whether that be, uh, you know, visual design as far as graphics or magic design or anything like that. And I'm and I'm very picky. Um, But what that means is that I'm the way that I am that gets outputted. That's how I am internally times 10. You know what I mean? So every, it doesn't matter if I come up with, you know, oh man, this is, you know, this is the best version of this thing that I can do. To me, it's still not good enough. Like there's still, and that's not, and not that that's a curse and it's not a blessing. It's kind of this somewhere in between purgatory type, you know, feeling because you, there's like a love hate relationship with it because you constantly are trying to improve the little things, you know? There's time right. when, you know, you know, you know, you know, my best friend, Alex, uh, there's times when, you know, Alex will see me doing something. And I'll be like, what about this? What about this? Tell me if you like this better or this better, this better or this better. 
And he'll sit there for 30 seconds. He'll be like, dude, I don't see one difference. Like, not one (laughs) single difference in what you're telling me. And then I'll explain what the difference is. And he'll be like, oh, like, that's blatantly different now. You know what I mean? So it's like being like, it's like focusing in on like these small little details and seeing what these small little details. And, you know, I think the not the downside downside is the wrong word. But the opposite side of that is just, you know, yeah, you're focusing on all these little details. But it's like it's you at your heart, you know, it's never going to be what you want it to be 100%. You might get 99. Right. Uh but there's always that room for improvement. So it's uh you know, that's the other. So it's not that I wanted to give up. It's just it's more of like it's it's like frustrating at times. You're like, "Oh," right. you know. Well, it's an art form, so you can't get it perfect, I guess, if you Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I I think that's the that's the thing, right? Is like you I think knowing I, I consider myself kind of a logical person, you know what I mean? At, at least before three drinks. Uh <laughs> um <laughs> but uh I know logically that it will never be perfect, but I still don't want to not try to make it perfect. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. Like I still want to try, uh which is, you know, a very illogical response if you know it's never going to be there, but <laughs> Um, but you can get close. Yeah. So, all right. So you, you're going through these years where it's really, really rough. Makes sense. Um, can you describe that turning point where it starts to get, maybe get a little bit easier, like what that kind of looks like and, and what, how you reach that point? Uh, yeah, it happened overnight. No, that's a lie. <laughs> oh, I was like, really? What happened? No, it did not <laughs> like happen I got overnight. Discovered. Uh, but I definitely remember. I mean, it's it's literally one of the greatest you know memories that I have. Um, I started, so I started making. I wasn't making. Uh, I was still you know very very paycheck to paycheck, and I uh, I remember showing. Alex, uh, this trick torn, it was a torn restored card that I had come up with. And Alex said, man, you know, you should. And at the time I was working, um, at a magic shop at the time. And so I, uh, I had like a, it was like a nine to five magic shop. I was still doing some restaurant magic. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was broke, but I wasn't, you know, like I, I wasn't, you know, I I could afford my car payments barely. So I wasn't, you know. Mm -hmm. I had to, I still had to budget myself instead of manage myself. Um, but, uh, I remember going over to his house and uh, I'll give you kind of the cliff notes version of this too. Cause this story okay. could, itself could be like an hour. Uh, <laughs> maybe um, another time we'll do the hour version of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you kind of just the, the highlights, I guess. The, okay. Uh, so, um, so I remember going to his house and waking him up, he used to sleep extremely late. He would sleep till four in the afternoon. And so I remember going to his house and waking him up and him rolling over. And I said, I have to show you something. <laughs> and he lit a cigarette immediately. He doesn't smoke anymore, but at the time he smoked like a chimney. Um, he lit a cigarette and he said, okay. Uh, and he goes, uh, let's go. I'll go in the living I'll meet you in the living room. So he puts some clothes on, comes out in the living room. I show him this trick. And he puts his cigarette out and he looks at me and he... Uh, He's like, well, what? what is that? What was that? So I show it to him again, and then I show him how it works. And he said, man, you need to try to sell this. You should try to sell this. And I really wow. didn't have any kind of urge to really kind of sell. I went through like a small little spurt with the, with the buddy, my buddy Chris, 
where we were kind of coming up with some different things. Um, but it, it, it never really was like, you should like sell magic. You know what I mean? It was more of like, hey, right. this is a way to make a little bit of cash, right? Right, right, right. Uh, and so... There, I knew that he was that there was something more to this than what he like because Alex, Alex is a very logical guy also, and so he was uh, I could just tell like in his voice and his body and everything that he you know like hey man you really should try to do something with this, so I was I was broke so I borrowed I think it was a hundred dollars uh, from my okay. parents I think is what it was I can't remember where, mm-hmm. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was from my parents, um, and I borrowed VCRs from all of our friends. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's crazy. And we had one video camera that my buddy had borrowed from some, from a friend of his. And uh, with that $100, um, and my buddies had some cash too. They pitched in a little bit of money. And uh, it was Alex, uh, my buddy David, and my buddy Chris, and myself. And we shot and edited and duplicated 200 copies no no 100 copies of this um of this vhs in 24 hours because the convention that the first convention i ever went to that was in houston right it just it it hops around city to city in texas so the very first time i went to it it happened to be in houston well it just so happened to be in houston again and it was like that next weekend Right. Or I think actually I think it was I think it was in Dallas, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, but um, it but it very well could have been in Houston. I don't I don't really remember. But um, we had 24 hours to do this. So uh, if you watch the VHS, it looks like it's shot multi camera, but it wasn't. It was shot with a single camera, like a little handy cam. And then we set up a uh, my buddy had and this is right when like Mac started kind of making a, a big like it was becoming a big deal like way back in the day um yeah, yeah. and so uh, this is one like a mac like you it, you couldn't you could get approved for a porsche before you could get approved for a mac right <laughs> uh so uh, <laughs> so uh my buddy had just gotten this mac his this is the same buddy whose dad's whose dad paid for college for me yeah 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 uh chris yeah so he had loaded the the footage that we had shot i so i went to walmart i bought a a sheet to hang on the wall and some halogen lamps because they were cheap. And we set that up in my buddy uh, David's house while his baby, his newborn baby, who uh, is now becoming a magician as well, which is awesome. Um, he, awesome. you know, yeah, he's, he's like a, he's a grown, he's like a grown middle-aged, you know, kid now. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, but uh, he was a baby. So while his, you know, wife at the time and the baby were upstairs, we were doing this, we filmed it. He put it on his laptop and then, I mimicked the moves. We set up the camera in different angles, and I mimicked the moves as I watched the laptop so that we could make it look like it was edited from multicam. That's awesome. And then we set our alarms because VHS days, you had to push play and record at the same time, and then, you know, they would pop out when they were done, and then you'd have to replace everything. So we daisy-chained, like, 15 VCRs together, and we all set our alarms and took turns to wake up because we had 24 hours to do this. And then uh, we took off, did it, Pulled it off. Uh, we were very happy with it. We were proud of it. And we took off, and then we got to the convention. And Roger Klaus, uh, rest in peace, sir. He uh, he did a thing called Midnight Madness, and um, I went up to him and I said, Roger, and I had known Roger just through the conventions. And I said, Man, um, I've got this new trick that I'd like to do on on the show tonight. If you if you'll have me, and he said, Of course. 
So I go up and I do this trick at midnight. And uh, Alex secretly in the back of the room was setting up a table with the VHS tapes, you know, oh which was su- super illegal, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, not really illegal, but against the but, rules of, of that, yeah, right? Right, <laughs> right totally. uh, And so he set up like this little pyramid of VHS and I got done and I forgot to say that I was selling it. And I was at the time I was selling it for $40 for that one trick, which was kind of unheard of also. Right. Um, and I remember I ran back up there and I was like, hey, man, do you mind if I have the mic again? And I remember I told everybody, hey, uh, if you guys want that trick, it's 40 bucks. It's in the back. And there was this sw- sea of people, like, took off. And we ended up selling all the VHS tapes at this convention. And it became, like, the talk of the convention. That is amazing. And uh, I went and bought I – I took the money we made and I split it four ways for everybody helping. And I bought everybody gifts. Um, so I got them all gifts and then gave them all their money and we're standing there and, uh, there is a flyer for a convention that's sitting on a table next to us. Like while, while I'm handing them their money, right. While I'm splitting right. up all this money and, you know, we're high-fiving and, you know, it's, it's, it was an amazing feeling, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, definitely. and also like at the time, like I was doing it around, uh, around the convention and so, I got, got all these different card, like, decks. And at, back then, the decks weren't like they are now. You know, there's, you know, thousands of different designs now. Back then, there was, you know, maybe five main designs, right, you know, that were popular mm-hmm. in the Magic community. So I got all those decks and, fold, and folded cards, and Alex would have, like, a bank of cards. So that way, if somebody was like, hey, can you do that trick with this deck, I could do it with a borrowed deck, right? Oh, wow, that's so uh, cool. And so we're standing around this table, and I'm paying all these guys, and I'm and I look down... And I see a flyer for, uh, it was called the Las Vegas Magic Invitational, LVMI. It was put on by Danny Archer. Okay, uh, yeah. And um, it was in Vegas, and it was the next weekend. <laughs> and uh, Alex looked at me, and he looked at the flyer, and he picked the flyer up, and he looked at it, and he read it, and he showed it to the guys. And then Alex handed me all the money back. And then my other buddies handed me all the money back, and they said, "Well, oh let's, let's go to Vegas." That's, uh, oh, that's yeah. Amazing. So, uh, so we went and used the money to go buy some more VHS tapes. We, you know, daisy chained and reduplicated more. And then we road tripped. Alex, my buddy David, my buddy Chris stayed behind. Uh, Alex, my buddy David, and myself road tripped to Vegas. And when I was in Vegas, I was, uh, you know, doing the same thing. I was just kind of, I didn't have, you know, this midnight show to do it, so I was just doing it around the convention. And so I was performing this, and the trick was modeled after uh, Torn Asunder, which Kenner came up with for Copperfield with the baseball card. Okay. Um, and that's what the trick was modeled after. And I was eating breakfast with Dean Dill, who I just met, which was amazing. Rest in peace, you too, sir. Um, and uh, somebody came up and was like, hey, uh, Chris Kenner wants to see the trick. And oh. so I get super nervous, and I go over, and I and it's him and Homer, and that's a whole other story in itself because I totally mistook both of them for each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Paul Harris was sitting next to them, so it was all of them sitting down, and uh, I think Bob Kohler was there, and there, there was a bunch of guys, like a bunch of names that I was like, you know, right. I was super nervous, right? Doesn't Paul uh, Harris? What does, was that? Does Paul Harris live in Jacksonville now? Paul Harris? Uh, I don't. I'm not too sure. He. I mean, he's kind okay. of like a nom- He's kind of a nomad. He kind of travels around. Um, yeah, okay, sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, he just, he just he's following his bliss. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I do the I do the trick, and Chris looks at Paul, 
and then Chris looks at me, and Chris is like, man, if I, uh, if I can examine that card, I'm screwed. And I hand him the card, and he's like, I have no idea, and Paul, so... Oh my god, that's that, awesome. That started, and then I... Uh, there And there's more to that, too, which is amazing. Like, me meeting Chris Kenner was, like, a really crazy thing because uh, not only was I, like, a fan of his, I had no idea what he looked like. I was just a fan of his thinking. You know, I was a fan of his right. brain and his hands. Um, And so, and Homer as well. And obviously Paul. Uh, So, it was, like, this really crazy, surreal kind of thing. And Chris was like, hey, man, I'd like to talk to you some more. And we sit down. He starts asking me about my goals. And I, and I told him, I, th- I was 21 at the time. Okay, I was I about s- to say, how old are you at this time? 21. Yeah, I was, I was, That's yeah, I was 21, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I uh, I tell Chris that I want to own a Viper by the age of 26. And he was like, and he kind of rolled his eyes and kind of looked at me. And, and then I said, look, man, it has nothing to do with me wanting the car. I just, I've, I've always seen that car as kind of a symbol of my financial mm-hmm. success. Mm-hmm. The fact that I can afford that car means that I'm in the right, you know, I'm doing the right thing that I need to be doing. Uh, and, and I may not even get it. I just want to know that I can. Yeah. And then Chris was like, Hey man, I'm going to go pick up these. And like Jerry's nuggets were becoming a big deal at that time. Uh, the playing cards. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to go pick up some Jerry's nuggets to give away to some people here. Do you want to go with me? And I said, all right. And he like took off. He paid for my, for my dinner. Um, and he took off and, um, I was like getting everything together and I was like trying to follow him and he goes out the door and I'm like, I'm probably like maybe 20 feet behind him, which is really weird. Cause he's like, if you want to come, but then he took off yeah, and yeah. then I, he turned like, I, we go outside, we turn the corner and then I turn the corner and Chris is like standing there and he, I just see him like throw something at me and I grab it and it's keys. And as I look down, it's like a movie, like a Viper is, is sitting in the parking lot. Shut up. And he goes, you're driving. Oh my god! After I had just told him this whole story, right? Uh, and I was and I was explaining magic to him too, like some of my thoughts and my ideas and theories and things like that, right? And so uh, I would be so nervous. <laughs> it was it was crazy. So he says, "You know how to drive a stick?" I said, "Yeah." Uh, I back out. I I make it maybe a mile down the road, and he's like, "Pull over!" And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I think I did something wrong. So I pull over. He won't. He didn't even look at me. He's just looking forward. He goes, "How long have you wanted to drive this car?" And I was like, I, man, I, you know, my whole life. And he goes, then drive it like you mean it. You have, oh my God. you know, four minutes to get to my house or whatever it was. And I was like, what? He's like, go. And I just, I remember just punching it, you know. No. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, and so for me, this is like a kid who, you know, you know, this is, for me, it was nothing but like fuel. That's all. It was like just throwing gasoline yeah. on the fire. You know what I mean? Definitely. It just, and so, uh, and then I we come back. It's amazing. He's like, let's talk more. Let's stay in contact. And then Paul ended up buying me like dinner one night, just randomly. He wasn't even there. He like, I just, I ate sushi by myself. I was there by myself because my buddies went to like a lecture or something. Um, and then I went to pay and like the person was like, Hey, you know, somebody already took care of it for you. And I turn, I look and Paul's sitting by himself in the corner and he just waved at me. Well, Danny Archer had, uh, approached me at that convention and said, Hey, I'm starting a new series called, um, five star. I think that's what it was called. And I want you to be one of the DVDs. We're going to start doing DVDs. Um, and this is back when DVDs were just becoming a thing, right? Yeah. Uh, brand, brand new. Like they were, I mean, I, I mean, the technology wasn't brand new, but it's like, you know, it was now cost effective or cost efficient uh, to, to make DVD, to produce DVDs now. And so he goes, we're going to, we want to do a DVD with you. Uh, 
and I said, okay. So I flew to, oh, uh, so I'll, I'll pause that there. Okay. Um, so I get that, I get that, um, message from him. He tells me that I get super excited because now it's like, oh man, people like value my ideas. Right. Right. Definitely. Uh, well then we find out somebody says something about the magic castle and we're like, oh, where's the magic castle at? And they're like, it's in, it's uh, you know, four hours. Or we said, how far is the magic castle from here? And they're like, it's four hours to LA. So we all look at each other cause none of us have jobs and we're like, well, <laughs> let's go to the magic castle. So, uh, the convention ends, we and, take and off. Let me pause really quick. So at the convention, how many VHSs did you sell? Do you think? Oh, uh, probably I, I duplicated another 200. So instead of a hundred, okay. I did 200 more. Uh, and then I sold probably about half of them. I sold about a hundred okay. of them again at that, okay. uh, at that. So it was, and it was, they were at 40 bucks. So I made about another 4,000. Okay. Um, but we were using this money also to fund the trip too. You know, I paid sure, for right, the hotel sure. room out of it and, you know, gas and all this stuff was getting, it was all being funded. So we were like, look, if the castle's that far away, we'll, you know, we'll get a hotel, you know, there and we'll do it again. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, you know, it's the castle. So, well, we we don't realize how... We know that you have to be a member. Um, and we know that it's, uh, you know, it's not really... We didn't. I don't think that we understood the severity of how, like, exclusive the club was, especially at that time. Yeah, um, But we also and, knew like, that we were... the code, right? The what? Is that a, and they also had, like, a dress code? Was that an issue? <laughs> 100%. Yep, there was a dress okay. code. Okay. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> So dress code, uh, you know, you have to be a member or be a guest of a member. We didn't know anybody, you know what I mean? We had just met these people in Vegas. They were telling us about it. So we got as much info as we could. We said, you know what? Screw it. Let's go. Uh, so we take off. We head to uh, our buddy's house. And it was like a scene out of like Reservoir Dogs or something. We're like, hey, we need to use your apartment. He's like, meet me there. Uh, and it was one of Alex's friends that had just moved from Houston to L.A. Okay. And so he had this like small apartment with like two other guys. So we like go in there. We like go into his room. We come out. We had uh, we had suits with us. We we and I think we had to borrow something. I forgot what we had to borrow, but we had to borrow a couple things. Uh, we get dressed. We take off. We show up to the castle. We have no idea what we're gonna do. Right. And we see uh, we see people smoking down by the library. So we walk over there and we all light up cigarettes, and we all start smoking and start conversations with the guys. And then I asked one of the dudes, I was like, hey, man, what time does this next show start? I have no idea how the inside of the castle works at the time. I've never right. been inside. I just, I know that there's got to be a show, right? Yes, of So uh, I said, what time does the show start? And the guy goes, I think there's another one starting here in here in like 15 minutes. And so like, we like flick our cigarettes. We're like, all right, we should probably get back inside. And we like walk straight in to the, oh to the library, like the, the area down there. Yeah, and then yeah. we get scared. So we like end up going through the kitchen at one point. Uh... And then we end up like basically just sneaking into the castle, and then we find out that you can perform on those green tables. So we just started right. performing. Yeah. Um, and then people like started coming up, and we're like, "Hey, you know, uh, such and such wants to see that Tony Richard card. Such and such wants to see this. Such and such wants heard you had this thing. Such and such." And then uh, Jack came up to me. At the, I think it was Jack at the time. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, and was like, "Hey, do you want to do a week here?" <gasps> so okay. Uh, so this really is overnight success. I mean, like legitimately, you, you said that jokingly, but this is like happening so fast. This is incredible. Uh, yeah, it was all. I mean, it was all within you know two weeks, something like that. Right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so I said, sure. I had no idea how I was going to get. I didn't know that you had to like get your own flight. I had no idea any of this stuff. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, I'm just trying to figure out how to do how to manage all of this. Well, 
that trip goes amazing. Um, that night, Chris Smith from Magic Smith uh, yeah. said, um, I met him, and he was like, hey, uh, I think we ended up going to the castle again the next night. We like actually got like on a list, like invited yeah. to go to the next night. And so that next night, Chris was like, do you have any more of those torn VHSs? Well, I think I had about 100 left in my, in my uh, car, in the car that we, right. that we would take. And he said, I'll take them all. And so he bought all hundred the the rest that I had. Uh, We head back home. We're like on cloud nine, but now like I have no idea what to do now, right? Like I don't like yeah. Like what do we do? Like I don't. I have no avenue of anything anymore. Like that was all like on the road and in Vegas and this. Like where do we go from here? I know that I got to go do the castle, which I'm excited about. Well, then Danny Archer calls me at the end of that week, and he's like, "Hey, um." You know, I told you I want to do that video. Let's go ahead and send me all the ideas that you want to put on it. And let's go ahead and bring you up to Cal- uh, to Colorado. And we're going to film it in, uh, it was Joel Given and uh, Carol's uh, um, theater that they have out there. Okay. And so we were going to film it at the theater. Uh, it was called No More Photos, Please, is what it was called. Uh, and it had, it was all the tricks that are on the Garcia Projects, all three volumes of the Garcia Projects. So it had all of those okay. tricks, but it was one DVD. And then, uh, so we filmed, I flew out, they flew me out there, filmed it. So you did that before you did the castle, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I went and uh, filmed that. The castle was like a month later, I think is what it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we film that DVD, I head back, and I'm now like, you know, now I'm just kind of waiting. I'm like, all right, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And then uh, I get back and I find out, like we're talking about thing. Well, I find out that Paul Harris ended up wanting to buy the rights to the video, the DVD that Danny was gonna was gonna produce, and he was gonna, yeah. So he Say bought the again. rights. So he to bought it. the who did? Say it again. The name. Paul Paul Harris. Paul Harris. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So Paul Harris okay. uh, wanted to buy the rights for the of the footage that Danny shot, and wanted to okay. reshoot it. To, and he wanted to start this line called Paul Harris Presents, which is a huge okay. line now. Yeah. And so, and he wanted my DVDs to be the first Paul Harris Presents DVDs. Wow. And so he said, look, this is what we'll do. We'll film the Torn and Restored card and we'll film, instead of one DVD, we'll film it and we'll break it up into a trilogy. We'll break it up into three DVDs. Okay, yeah. And and we'll only put five or six tricks on each one as opposed to, you know, 15 tricks on one. Right, doing it all, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, uh, so I said, okay. So uh, he flew me to San Diego, and uh, we hired the Buck Twins to film it. And Rodney Reyes oh, uh, tried wow. to produce it, or not? Didn't I said tried that produced it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and I sat down with you know them to help design and help go through the aesthetics and what it was going to look like and all that, and what the editing you know kind of would look like, and just made tweaks. And those guys are extremely talented, um, all of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then after that, I did the I ended up doing the castle. Um, and then everything kind of just started snowballing from that. It went through. There was a small point when it got a little uh, like it started getting kind of slow again. Right. Uh, and I think that was kind of more of me realizing, oh, this isn't just going to work by itself. Like right. you need to actually work. And so, uh, and once I kind of started figuring that out, uh, also my buddy uh, Carl. Um, who's uh, an amazing human uh, out here in uh, out here in Houston? 
um, an extremely talented magician also that nobody will ever know about, which is hilarious because he has no urge in showing magic to anybody. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was like, you know, there's this, uh, there's this company online that, uh, that sells lecture notes, digital lecture notes. Mm-hmm. You, should, you should just do some. It's free money, dude. He's like, just write it up and, and do it. So I did that. I said, okay. Um, and I started making like money each month from these. And I was like, oh, man, I could actually do this. Like These are all things that I can do. So I, I had been contacted by uh, Illusionist. Okay. And at the time, um, Jonathan Bain was working for Illusionist. He was, he was, I think he was like a moderator on the forums or something. I'm not too sure exactly what his position was at the time. And I, I was doing magic um, for Absolute Vodka here in, in Texas. I was like the Absolute Vodka magician. And um, he had sent me an email and was like, hey, uh, we like your Garcia projects that were released with Paul. We want to talk to you about working together. And I was like, no, I'm not interested. So I, uh, after like kind of looking at the, and that was that was before, you know, that was like a, a month or so before any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, after, you know, I was actually... Act, uh, a month or so before, like like when during the dying down you know time. So this is already you know maybe a year into this. Okay. Yeah. So I uh, I remember going, hey man, you know you you can make some, you can actually if you work, like if you actually work, you can do this. So I started doing some research on like online magic. So that's like right when the online magic shops are starting to become a thing now. And I realized that there really wasn't like a front man for illusionists. There wasn't anybody that they were like really kind of like promoting heavy. Like they just kind of, okay. uh, Brad was kind of like the guy that he was, he was, it was his company, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sent them a message and was like, Hey, um, here's, I have some ideas if you guys want to do this. And I did the same. And at the same time I sent, um, a message to penguin and I said, Hey, yeah. I've got some ideas if you guys want to do this. And my goal was to basically just get in front of eyes. Like I wanted, mm-hmm. I knew that they had an outreach. And so, uh, they both said, yep, let's do some stuff together. And so I, uh, filmed some stuff and, you know, with both companies and they started pushing it all out. And it just, that put, started putting me in front of a lot of eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, that's when everything really started like picking up, picking up, uh, because every, because like I had more and more eyes watching me and watching me and watching me and they were liking what I was doing. And I also kind of understood, I think at the time how, like what people wanted to see whenever you marketed magic, like how to like, I, I just, I kind of had a knack for being like, you know what, this is a cool visual, but it also has a cool method. And you know, it's also that, you know what I mean? Um, definitely. And also at that time too, I, I started doing like DVDs where you could build the gimmick yourself at your house. So, okay. uh, which wasn't like a really big thing back then either. So it would show you how to do like all the stuff yourself. Uh, which now, you know, it's, it's, if you get a toy, it's a little bit better now, you know, the market's kind of shifted, but at the time that was kind of a thing that wasn't, you know, a big deal and like, or it was kind of a big deal. Like, oh man, I don't have to buy the gimmick. I can actually make the gimmick, make you know? It. Yeah, that's, yeah. For uh, sure. that makes a lot of sense. And so, uh. So I started doing that. I started, uh, and that, you know, that um, started getting me in front of a bunch of different people and a bunch of different eyes. And then I was at Magic Live, I think is what it was. Okay. Uh, one year. And that year, uh, David Blaine was there and Cyril Takayama was there. And um, I was just there as an attendee, just kind of hanging out, you know. And I was in the dealer's room 
and a big crowd like started coming. Out. I looked over and it was it was Blaine, and he like looked at me through the crowd and he smiled and he like parted his way and like like beeline straight towards me, and then wow. he said, uh, "Danny Garcia," and I said, "What's up, dude?" Um, and I and I like gave him like a like I gave him like a bro hug, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, he was like, "Have we met?" And I was like, "Nope, not at all." <laughs> uh, and then he said, "I want to talk about if to see if you can uh, to see if you can uh, have a meeting. Let's have a meeting. See if maybe you know you have some ideas or things like that." And I was like, "That's incredible." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, Cyril had also been like, "Hey, I want to have a meeting also to see if you have any ideas." that same day and then wow. like an hour after that doug malloy had come up to me and doug was selling my torn uh vhs tape on his website at the time oh my god nice. and so uh so doug came up to me he's like hey chris angel wants to talk to you and chris was just now starting to kind of make like a tv name for himself right wow um Stop. and so uh, oh my god and i had turned i turned him down twice already i'd already just told him i wasn't interested so doug came up and doug was like hey man just let him buy you at least lunch. You know what I mean? Like, just hear, hear at least hear what he's got to say. And I was like, you know what? You're right. right. Like, you know, don't be an ass. Uh, so I end up going to the meeting with Chris, getting out of the meeting with Chris. I um, And then I had to go meet David. Well, whenever I showed up to the hotel bar to meet David, David was with Cyril already. So they were hanging out okay. together. Um, and then we started hanging out and started talking. And then they were basically like, so are you going to come work for me? And then David was like, are you going to come work for me? And Cyril was like, are you going to come work for me? And then David goes, I've got more money. And Cyril goes, you are right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, I mean, it was just a joke, but you know, um, it was just kind of this really amazing ego boost, you know what I mean? To see these guys kind of talk about who I was going to work for. And I flew day or David flew me to New York. Um, and this was, you know, I mean, geez, this was already 10, 11 years ago, something like that. Maybe, maybe more. Um, so, can and I he, ask yeah. how, what the thought process was between Chris and David? Like, is it Chris's style that you were like, I don't really want to be a part of this? Because I know people have uh, some as, strong opinions. As far as, uh, yeah, uh, like, as far as, like, what my, like, my thought was with both of yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I ended up walking out of the meeting with Chris, and I, I mean, I'm not really going to get into it, but I, but okay, I ended okay. up just kind of, I wasn't like, um... It wasn't like my scene, basically. Not that I had anything, okay. you know. Like I, I didn't. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. I just, I just, it wasn't my thing. It wasn't my, it wasn't my bag, baby. Uh, yeah. And so, um, <laughs> so, uh, and then meeting David was a completely opposite. Like he was just like a really down to earth, uh, you know. Like he just, he was excited when I would show him like these things, and he, he was more, he was more excited about, like. It felt, or at least he made me feel, and it could be that this wasn't the case at all, but he made me feel like my brain was important. And that's something that, like, I really do value. Like, that's something that, you know, especially, like, growing up whenever you're, you know, you're a small, fat kid, and, like, you know, if you, if people start valuing your brain, you realize that that's the part that is valuable in yourself. You know, you know, like, for me, that's what my ego, like, latched onto. And he, he made it feel like that was, like, that was important. So anything that I told him or anything that I uh, showed him, he made it feel like that was a very important thought. Like that thought had some merit to it. Uh, same with Cyril, you know. And mm-hmm. and Cyril, I latched on, you know, to that. Plus, he also felt like, Cyril just felt like um, like a dude that I had kind of like grown up with. You know what I mean? Like he was just kind of like a, like, he was just fun and just kind of goofy. You know what I mean? 
and then like kind of turned into celebrity mode whenever all these people were around and i just thought that was like i just i i found that interesting i was like man you can actually like you can compartmentalize this thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh and it was it, you know it was it was incredible and it was i just i really respected how that you know how david worked and so he flew me to new york and i remember i came in and it was hectic and you know it wasn't anything that i would ever kind of expected i just knew that i wanted to work hard and uh the first thing they do is we sit at a table and they go hey what do you think about this and there was like a little turtle that they had and it was a uh, and they like it was a siamese turtle a little turtle that was a uh, that had okay. a head on each end of it oh, and he's like okay. and he was like we want to use this for a trick um and so I said, well, why don't we do a version of uh, Paul Harris's Twilight uh, Angels, uh, where you can you use a mirror, and you uh, you mirror what the turtle is. So you put the the mirror on it on the turtle's back, and now you slide it, and now there's the turtle has two heads, right? Right. So David loved it. And he goes, well, how would we do that? And so I uh, like just spit out a method, just kind of you know, just free balled a method real quick. Um, can I say free ball? I don't even know if that's a, is that, is that, you is that can, right? Can I say free ball? <laughs> you can say whatever you want. I don't, I'm not worried about, you can say any words. You're fine. If you, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I fucking can't say, son of a bitch. Uh, that's, that's the point whenever you put all of the beep, 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 beeps. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the fuck word is just so bad. Yeah, you gotta get off the show right now so. i really hope that you do at that moment like just put like a bunch of beeps right after i say all that stuff that would be incredible. okay, okay. Uh, uh, that'd be awesome um so uh now that we've gotten that out of my system uh, <laughs> uh we uh i end up kind of just free flowing this this method and david like stands up and he like looks at the team and he was like and that's why we brought in danny garcia and it like made me feel so amazing oh my Yes, um, that feels so good. It was incredible, and it was like, I mean, it latched onto me, and that's, I mean, I have this huge respect for David, and I will always have this respect for David, not only for his, you know, work ethic and loyalty and his brain and what he's done for magic, but just as a human, you know what I mean? And right. seeing what he does for people, you know, just in general, like anybody, he's just, I mean, he's a, he's a very dope human being. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was it, and then that started, like, that launched my consulting career, and then I, uh, that's when I kind of stepped out of, you know, like releasing magic and doing that stuff to actually start thinking. And then, um, I had a meeting with, uh, Dynamo and Dynamo's team whenever I was doing a, a small tour in, uh, in London. Um, cause I started lecturing and stuff after that, which was amazing. Uh, and that's whenever I kind of started, there was really no like pay structure to consulting, like consulting really wasn't a thing at the time. Right. Um, I mean, it was like, there was, you know, like Paul would come in and help, you know, David and stuff like that. But it will, you know, and Chris would help, you know, Copperfield and all these things. But it wasn't, there wasn't like an actual structure, structure to it. Like, you know, bringing in a team of magicians and doing this thing wasn't like, you know, it just wasn't, it, there wasn't like an actual structure, like a, a concrete structure it's, to it. Right. So right. Just I, uh, newer, right? At yeah. At that point, like. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was just, it was very kind of like you brought in your friends, you, you know, you, hey, do you want to sit around and do like a round table? It was like that kind of a thing. So. Uh, I just I kind of sat down and I just plotted out this kind of plan to kind of get a pay structure going and to get like the way to actually make consulting a thing and to actually make it to where you know people after me can follow this kind of pattern that I've you know kind of tried to sprinkle out you know right um and then from there it just kept you know that 
you know, that went on my resume and then that led to working with Cyril and then working with, you know, I, I helped out Cyril in Hawaii and then that led to more stuff. And then, uh, and then just everything kind of started snowballing. I think that once, once I had done this for like, you know, all the major guys, it was like, well, here's one of the guys that is doing this. This is one of the guys that the major guys are looking at, not just every, every TV show, like all the major guys are looking at this. And right. so uh, it just kind of helped my career. It just started snowballing my career. So um, I I have my prepared questions, and we're running out of time for my personal questions, and then we're going to all have some questions from the audience that people have submitted. But my last question for you that I've just started asking people mm-hmm. was, is there anything you wish I'd asked you about? <sighs> hmm. Not really. I think that I think that you did awesome. Like I don't. I think that what you. I don't. Yeah. These things are always weird for me. Like I don't. Like it's it's weird that people would log on to listen to any kind of a thing that I'm doing. So. Uh, yeah. Um, and so uh, so I don't. I think that just the fact of you asking me to do this already is you know super awesome. It makes me feel incredible. Um, and the fact that people will listen, no matter how many people it is, I don't care if it's one person or if it's, you know, 20 um, yeah, definitely. or a or hundred. I don't, I mean, I don't, it's, or thousands. I don't know what, I don't know, you know, but anybody that takes, I, th- I think that our most valuable thing is time. You know, it's the one yeah. thing that we're, that we're running out of. It's the only thing that's absolute. And anybody that chooses to spend that with me um, and you is, is, uh, and you asking me to spend that with you is, that's amazing. So I don't, I yeah, don't wish you-, you asked me anything. I think that just you you asking me to do this was already incredible. Well, thank you so much. And honestly, like your time, I, I really do value it. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening and tune in next week to hear Danny Garcia answer your questions, questions that were submitted via Instagram and Facebook. And also a big thanks to Luca Sommerfeld. He is a longtime listener who actually submitted the music for us and is the new intro music is by Luca Sommerfeld. So thank you to him. All right. I'll see you guys next week.